0: Hello, everybody. It's Betsy, and here's what's in the Pop and Collars feed for the month of October 2020. We channel our inner Cecil B. DeMille on this month's Pop and Collars, where we discuss Hollywood biblical epics. And speaking of biblical epics, the person who literally wrote the book on them, Richard Lindsay, returns on this month's take two. Greg and I are in the home stretch of our 1989 movie, Rewatch. This month's Going on 30 spotlights the directorial debut of Steven Soderbergh with his Sex, Lies, and Videotape finally on the sacred six Shane and greg ponder the nature of war and hatred as they review the star trek episode the day of the dove thanks again for listening and keep those collars popped
1: I'm Greg. And I'm Betsy. And this is Going on 30, a popping color side project where we peruse the old Super 8 tape library. For movies that were nominated or should have been nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago this month. Looking at Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Eyes, and Videotape.
2: I think there are a lot of... A lot of women out there, they'd be glad to have a young, straight male making a pretty good living. Being
0: happy isn't all that great. I and mean, the last time I was really happy, I got so fat. If you want to leave, leave.
2: My life doesn't revolve around these little get-togethers and they don't flatter yourself. I look around me in this town and I see John and Cynthia and you and I. I feel comparatively healthy. How do you like being married? Well, you know the
0: cliche about the security of it. Well, that's true. Are you having an affair?
2: Why don't you let me tape you? You know what? John and Anne don't have sex anymore. Did you make one of these damn videotapes? Yes, I did. Okay, I'm recording. Tell me your name. Anne Bishop (laughs) Mullaney. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Winner, Best Picture, Best Actor, Cannes Film Festival. Okay.
0: Okay.
1: I have a brief synopsis of this movie. (laughs) Let's see would you like to hear it?
0: As long as you don't deliver it in slightly halting dialogue, I, I am up for it.
1: I have my own particular cadence. Stop it. With Stop, the it. Synopsis. <laughs> Stop it.
0: Stop uh, it.
1: Sex Lies and Videotape is the story of Graham, who, while visiting his old friend John, is eventually confronted by John's wife Anne and her sister Cynthia about his unique method. Of overcoming his unusual sexual dysfunction.
0: Unique method. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Betsy,
1: what is your history with sexualizing videotape?
0: I was 15 when this movie came out. I think it probably sounded pretty racy and dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I definitely was not into it at the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like I had enough friends in college who were into film. that They would have made me watch this film at some point, but I don't think that happened either. So I think when I watched it last night, for the first, I think that was the first time oh. I have ever watched this film. You know, that story that you, that you shared with me about when the wall came down in Berlin <laughs> yes. and the East Berliners ran to the theater thinking sex, lies and videotape would be, some high-quality Western porn. Yes. And the film does have a bit of a halting dialogue delivery that feels a little meandery and porn-like. Sometimes. But it was not what they were expecting. So this was, I did not get maybe what I thought it was going to be.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I think it should be said that the the title of this movie is as salacious as the movie gets. The movie is just people standing in rooms talking to each other. There's, there's, it's about sex, but the only sexy part of the movie is really the title.
0: What, what is what is your history with this movie?
1: Um, so uh, again, young young Greg was not associated with sexualized videotape when it first came out. Um, I found it in college. I want to say that it was one of those tapes that was on like a roommate shelf or something like that. And it's something that you kind of see and you're um, intrigued by. Like the East Berliners. A little intrigued. A little intrigued.
0: like, huh. Little, little, little titillated. We I can wonder use that, what I'm use that get S-A-T word. Yeah,
1: I wonder what I'm going to get into with this. And so you kind of pop it in. And then from there, it's just a James Spader ride. A charming James Spader ride. Just, <laughs> well, and...
0: I think the fact that the Spader is in the film, right? Right. The All the knowledge you have of him before this film is he is a bad dude. Mm-hmm. He is up to no good
1: mm-hmm.
0: with his flowing blonde hair, up to mo- no
1: good. Mo- 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 and mo- so
0: I think that definitely fed the idea of the film. And Peter Gallagher was in, like, this super sexy movie with Daryl Hannah when she was, like, really young.
1: Oh, was he really?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, maybe you've got a little bit of that, but your two female leads are very new. They had yes. both been on a Spencer for Hire episode prior to the being in this movie, so you have got no context
1: for that. Our, I mean, our you know. younger Spencer for Hire fans will think... Wait, do you mean the Mark Wahlberg Netflix movie? No. And I'm
0: like, no, that is not what I'm talking <laughs> about. Yeah, but both Laura Sanji Como and, and and Andy McDowell have been on Spencer Fryer. I don't I don't think the same episode. Maybe they were best friends. I don't know.
1: Um, what are your general thoughts on the movie, having seen it for the first time yesterday? What are your hot takes coming out of it?
0: Hot takes. It's like the most un Louisiana show I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the fact
0: that this was set in Baton Rouge, I was like, "What?" Like the, the most Louisiana gets is that there are Zaps potato chips for sale in the bar. You know that this is the different yeah. ideas about intimacy mm-hmm. and what that means. I think that was interesting to me. I liked, you know, it was, it was like it came up in like one of Spader and Annie McDowell's like first conversations, Graham and Annie. Extremely. You know, he asked about her being intimate with her therapist. You know, my therapist.
2: You're in therapy? Aren't you? No, I, no, I'm not. <laughs> I was a miserable failure in therapy.
0: <laughs> so you don't believe in therapy?
2: No, I, I yeah, I, I believe in it for some people. I, I don't know, it was, yeah, you know, silly for me. I was confused going in, and so I just—I formed my own theory that you should never take advice from someone that doesn't know you intimately. Oh, but well, I—I—I I know my therapist intimately. You've had sex with your therapist?
0: No, no, no. Oh no,
2: that's—that's that's what I meant. you. So I mean, someone you've had sex with? Um, so let me see, you said, um, you said that I should never take advice from someone that I haven't had sex with, right? Right? Basically. Right. And,
0: uh, we haven't had sex, (laughs) Right. So, <laughs> so I, I, I guess from your own advice, I shouldn't take
2: your advice.
1: I wouldn't. You wouldn't,
0: trying. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's a very late 20s idea and of this time when the movie was made, idea of intimacy, and the way that's challenged through... You know, like whatever Graham's issues kind of are, which maybe we need to talk about that. I was a little, I was a little confused as to what some of, I mean, he is having issues, I think, with sex and with lying. And that he's using videotape to try to deal with it. Yes.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: So, Um, but but the idea of what an intimate relationship actually means. Right. Because the two of them never have, we never see them having sex in the, in the
1: movie. No. no, it's, it's implied at it's the It's
0: implied, end. but, but we never really, that's, we don't even see that. So is that implied intimacy in there? But, but they are incredibly intimate in their conversation and how they deal with one another. Yes. And okay. whereas we have another couple in the movie who is intimate with one another and it still feels very perfunctory and not actually in a very intimate relationship.
1: So, right. They're very distanced from each other yeah. in how they're coming into that space,
0: So, like think, how they're
1: coming into the affair. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think it relates to conversations now when we're talking about what does feminism mean? What does female empowerment mean around how you have sex with people, how you dress, how you, you know, how you're kind of honoring the sexual being that is yourself Mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of debate about what that looks like and how we judge or we don't judge others and what they do. So yeah. I thought that that the, the film's commentary on intimacy was really right. interesting to me.
1: So Driving Miss Daisy was based on a play. Oh
0: my god, you're bringing up Driving Miss Daisy, and no, was kidding. how is that relating to this? <laughs> what? Okay. Was,
1: I want to say that we talked about another movie on the show that we said it felt like a play. Maybe that was like Accidental Tourist or something. Definitely, This feels like a play. Yeah, I It's four you. characters, and the characters are never all together at the same time. They're together in different combinations. So it's like the, the most there ever are are three characters at one time, and that's just the dinner scene. But after you get past the dinner scene, it's only two characters at a time interacting with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. It also speaks to the fact that it doesn't really feel like a fully developed world. I think right. that's why the Louisiana thing doesn't really. It's like this. Why are we even setting this someplace? Mm-hmm. Because it's really the whole world is these four people.
1: Honestly, it's just dialogue scenes between characters. Yes. And you get a little bit of why the characters are doing what they're doing. But it's really just like it's scene acting each
0: time. Yeah. I think my my fun fact trivia from internet movie Data, database IMDb is that Steven Soderbergh wrote this movie mm-hmm. in a 5-day like road trip that he yeah. went. On. And it what makes me wonder is what do you think was the scene that was the kernel that he really like the premise that he was like totally into that he wanted to then explore in a whole script.
1: I think it could actually be two. Okay. They're both gram. Because I think I think that's where that's where a lot of his focus is. I think it's either um, can I do a sex scene that's just two people talking intimately, and that's the Graham and Cynthia scene, which is my best scene of the movie, and we'll get into that a little bit more. Hi, hello. Can I help you?
2: I'm Cynthia Bishop. I'm so... Do do I know you? I don't... I'm Anne Mulaney's sister. The extrovert. She must have been in a good mood when she said that. She usually calls me loud. Yeah, she called you that, too. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) what are you doing here? You want me to leave? No, I know. I just want to know what you're doing here. Well, like I said, Anne is my sister's sister's talk. You can imagine the rest. No, I think it's probably better if I don't characterize that <laughs> conversation that I didn't hear. <laughs> I, uh. I don't have any idea really what you or Ann said about me or anything else. <laughs> oh. I think I get it. Oh, yeah? What do you get? If Ann got freaked out by these, they must be something sexual. Are these tapes of you having sex with these girls? No, not exactly. Well, either you are or you aren't. Which is it? Why don't you let me tape you? Doing what? Talking. About what? About sex. Your sexual history, sexual preferences. What makes you think I'd discuss that with you? Nothing. And you just want to ask me questions. Just want to ask you questions. That's all. That's all. Would anyone else see the tape? Absolutely not. Nobody else sees the tapes except for me. How long will it take? Well, that depends on you. One woman used up only three minutes, and another used three two hour tapes. How do we start? I turn on the camera and you start talking. Do I sit or stand? What do you prefer? I prefer sit.
1: Or it could be the, the kernel of the idea was Anne turning the camera on to the person who's trying to engage her. Because that was a... That was a clear moment where the power dynamic between those two characters shifted and all of a sudden Graham had no control over the situation and Anne had all of the control. And the only difference was that the camera lens turned from one character to the other. Mm -hmm. And, And I can see him kind of working with that idea. And how do I get there and how do I tell that story?
0: Because it also feels like this idea of the, him messing with the new technology of the time, right? Mm-hmm. That video cameras were now affordable enough.
1: Yeah, that people in the had palm them. of your hand. Yep. Yeah,
0: palm of your hand. You go out break. there, capture your family vacay. You now have this new technology, and what will that do to our relationships? Or how do we? How does it intersect with how we are interacting? And and some of the write-ups, you know, Soderbergh has kind of said that he sees himself in each of these characters. Yeah. Each of them and how they approach intimacy and relationships could be looked at as a prototype kind of way or an archetype kind of way for how how people approach intimacy.
1: The sister dynamic is probably the best part of the movie. Like Andy McDowell okay, we can probably talk a little bit more about Andy McDowell. God love her. She she does what she she does what oh, she does. Don't. She does the best no, she can. Stop it. Four weddings and a funeral. She did the best she could. Stop it. Everybody else was eating her lunch in that movie. But she did the <laughs> best she could. <laughs> ah, Greg. But what I'm trying to say is that if you put her on screen with Laura San they're great together. They're great. And I don't know what it was that San was able to bring out of her. But that was their interaction was totally honest. You know I think I'd it like. is
0: I think it's a Spencer for higher energy. <laughs> I think it's really bringing that
1: just what is your best scene of the movie? I've given mine away.
0: I think mine is the sister dynamic like when they're when they're talking in Cynthia's apartment.
1: Yeah, and she's getting dressed and yeah.
0: Yeah. And just that In in all that dialogue, you just see the seeds that have been a part of their relationship for a long time to talk. And and at that point, you're you're sitting there knowing that Cynthia's leaving with her husband and this is happening and no, no, no. And, you know, she wants to go see Graham. And she's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you don't need to do that. I wouldn't. No, I don't think I should give you that. And it's interesting to kind of watch and be protective of the Graham character already. Mm-hmm. because, you know, she knows how her sister is, quote unquote. And I love that when she's like, you know, you know your sister said you were extroverted. She's like, oh, that's so interesting. She normally just says I'm loud. Yeah. And I love that. Just, I mean, does Anne know in the end? She knows in the end, right?
1: Yeah, she knows. That
0: her sister has been sleeping with her
1: husband. She knows when she finds the earring.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that they, the Bishop sisters still coming back together again in the bar. Mm-hmm. I think that the, the chemistry with the two of them yeah. was, was surprising to me.
1: That's a great scene, too, because you can tell, like, how the characters make choices based on what the other one likes or does, you know? Like, they, you can tell that they're sisters, you can tell that they're close, but they also choose very different things for each other. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder if some of their choices are based on what it is that their sister is choosing. And they just want to choose the opposite.
0: Right. You know. It was it was just interesting to watch the two of them at the beginning of their careers be so yeah. generous uh, yeah. in their acting. Yeah. So That's my it, favorite scene. It,
1: you, you could tell me that that scene was uh, completely improv. I would believe it. Like it was it was that well kind of reasoned out the way that these characters like engage each other.
0: And I think that, you know, if, if Andy McDowell is supposed to be this kind of innocent the perfect the debutante sister mm-hmm. she does that in a way that it, it isn't one note or one dimensional which is one of the things that I stick up for in her acting in this in this okay. so
1: I'm hard on Andy McDowell. I'm probably harder on Andy McDowell's four weddings and a funeral like I think that's and Groundhog Day I think I think I'm, I'm okay I'm hard on Andy McDowell. She's
0: great in yeah, Groundhog Day. She does
1: good stuff. She does good stuff in
0: this. That's her best one.
1: Okay. Um, my best scene is the Graham and Cynthia scene. I said it before. It's the only time that the characters are together, and it's a very short amount of time. It's a quick scene when it's all said and done. It's his kind of like unusual honesty that allows this scene to go as quickly as it does to intimacy these two characters are not going to have sex with each other, but they're going to engage each other probably more intimately than any of the characters in the movie. It's partially because Cynthia is making choices based on what Anne has already told her. So she wants to somehow upset her sister by engaging this guy. She's also totally curious about what it is that he's doing videotaping women. I think Graham finds her a- a- attractive, attractive, clearly and engaging quickly it's just the way that the scene goes so fast it that's why it stands out to me and hands down it's the two best actors in the movie in a scene together
0: the thing too is that you have this one character who is trying to be so honest because he has been so dishonest right you know, there's some sort of penance, or I'm a new creation, or whatever he trip he's on, and then you have somebody who is living this dishonest life,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and Cynthia, that you know, she is sleeping with her sister's husband, not because she loves him, but but almost because it's still really about Anne. Yeah. It's still really about pissing her off, right? Yeah. That that having them, because this then that interaction really changes things for Cynthia she's you know she never says like what the hell am I doing but then she has that talk with John that's just like you know she's super turned on after it mm-hmm. but then that's really all that relationship is about it's really not built on anything she's like what am I doing like this doesn't seem like you know why don't you just leave and it really alters how the trajectory of her character I think in a way that allows her in the end to still be in a relationship with her sister I also wonder whether this is not the first time this has happened in the sister's relationship, it's a great scene. The way she contorts her body on that couch, I'm like, how are you doing that, girl? Like, she just, <laughs> like, she's so tiny, and I'm like, oh. Well,
1: yeah. this is good, because it segues into best performance. Who's your best performance?
0: I'm going with Laura Sanjico.
1: Hands down, Hands yes.
0: Down. even though Spader, the eyes, hair, the black button down. <laughs> So also mesmerizing. It's she just she has all the energy. i I would be very afraid for this movie if she was <laughs> not in this movie.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, she is. Uh, um, okay, so Laura Sangiacomo is mine. Also, as soon as she shows up in this film, you can't take your eyes off of her. She's where all of your attention goes whenever she's in a scene. She's the wild card that gets every everything sort of mixed up.
0: Yeah. Well, she is just a working actress like she is still super active. She's just so good. You know, I think about, of course, you know, her performance in Pretty Woman, her performance in The Stand
2: mm-hmm. with
0: the miniseries, you know, so good. Just mm-hmm. and just keeps plugging away. You'd be like, oh, look, there she is on Grey's Anatomy. Oh, look, there she is on NCIS. And, oh, look, there, you know, she just keeps going.
1: She shows up in a movie from 2019 that was probably in my top 10 from last year, which is a movie called Honey Boy.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, starring uh, Shia LaBeouf, kind of like a biographical movie about his growing up. And she plays a counselor therapist in that movie. She's great. She's great. I've got some stats about the movie.
0: Stats! Stats, 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 stats.
1: Funny enough, here they are. Yeah, they are. This movie opened on August fourth, nineteen eighty-nine. Summer, kind of August. But I don't August, know. August, August. Uh,
0: that's not. That's not. At least a it wasn't
1: January. You could have convinced me this movie opened in January. <laughs> like, you could
0: have. But that's that's like when everybody's on vacation. That's okay. hard.
1: Uh, it has a domestic gross of twenty five million dollars, making it the number forty six grossing movie of nineteen eighty nine. Okay. It's right around "Do the Right Thing," so okay. it's right around that indie kind of. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: You know, uh, it is the number three thousand two hundred and fifth top grossing movie of all time.
0: All right, here we go. Here's your triple, triple feature. I'm excited?
1: Okay. It comes between "The Man Without a Face."
0: Oh, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> yes. Man Without is,
1: a Face is... This is uh,
0: Mel Gibson.
1: Yeah, Mel Gibson. Yeah.
0: Yes. Chuck wants to leave home but can't make the grade for boarding school. Then he finds out the disfigured reclusive living nearby is an
1: ex-teacher. <laughs> uh, this movie comes between Man Without a Face and Gorillas in the Mist. Oh, whoa. Hmm. How about that triple feature? That's interesting. Next year we're going to add a uh, we're going to add a component next year where you have to find the common link between the three. Oh my
0: movies. god! <laughs> yeah, it has a ninety
1: six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Interesting, that's pretty high. Roger Ebert says it is never boring. I don't
2: know. I don't uh, know uh, about uh, that. Uh, okay.
1: I don't know about that. He says it is never boring. And there are moments when it reminds us of how sexy the movies used to be back in the days when speech was an erogenous zone. Well written, Raj. 3.5 out of 4 stars. No review from Pauline Kael. How did it do at the Oscars? Obviously no wins, but it actually was nominated for an Oscar. Betsy, what do you think this movie was nominated for? One Oscar...
0: I think it's going to be pretty obvious what zone it's in and that would be screenplay
1: best original screenplay ding, as ding, an
0: erogenous ding. zone category <laughs> what are these? uh, those are
2: videotapes oh, I can
0: see that of what?
2: it's a personal project I've been working on
0: what kind of personal project? what? What kind of personal project?
2: Uh, uh personal project like anyone else's personal project, mine's just a little more personal, I guess. Who's Donna? What? Donna, it's Donna here on the tape. Donna was a girl I knew in Florida.
0: Oh, you went you went out with her?
2: No, not really.
0: Why do these tapes all have women's names on them?
2: Well, I enjoy interviewing women more than men.
0: So all of these are, are interviews, huh? Uh, yes. Can we watch one?
2: No, I... Uh, no. Why not? Well, I promised each of the subjects that... No one would see the videotapes except for a man.
0: What are the interviews about?
2: The interviews are about sex.
1: Let's talk about the legacy of this movie. I have written down here. I think this is a good time to talk about sex and technology. Sure. So we've said on like at the very beginning of this podcast that honestly, the the most titillating thing about this movie is the title. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: The title though seems to be designed to make you think of pornography. Like when it when it lists the words sex lies and videotape together. Yep. That feels like a pornographic image.
0: Right. That's
1: that's an interesting I like choice. the
0: bait and switch. I agree with you. I think that it is kind of it's a commentary on that as well, right? Cuz we're also then moving into you know, we've watched enough movies like Boogie Nights and things like that to talk about the transition at the what videotape does to the porn industry right. itself, right? Mm-hmm. And that's technology being more democratic in its usage by people, right? That now you know, you would have, you know, people could film themselves having sex in their own home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That, that sort of, that, that, all of that is kind of coming, all of that is happening and on the horizon.
1: You know, the pornography industry, and I, I should, Shameless plug, by the way, we've done a show, we've done a Popping Collars episode on pornography. I'm like, what
0: the hell are you about to do?
1: (laughs) We've done a Popping Collars episode where we do a deep dive with Lucas Mix, I think, was on that episode. And we talk about, like, what's the difference between pornography and erotica? And it's a good conversation. And I would recommend it to you. Pornography is dependent on technology to really move it forward. So the 70s, obviously, we know what that is. And you brought up Boogie Nights before. But, you know, pornography was a movie industry. A you movie had to go house. to a movie theater to watch pornography, right? Like, it was, it was on reels, right? Mm-hmm. So the advent of the videotape and the VCR made pornography more prevalent in people's lives
0: yeah, and in home.
1: the 80s and 90s. So in the 80s and early 90s is when people are starting to get pornography more and more. So advance that 30 years later, and now we're living in an age of Internet. We're living in an age of free Internet porn. Pornography is extremely pervasive, right? Right. Uh, Another shameless plug, I would recommend that you listen to another podcast called The Butterfly Effect.
0: So good. Which
1: goes into what the consequences are for having free pornography. This movie is not pornographic, but it does rely on a porn-style title. Mm -hmm. And it, it feels like it's trying to get people to accidentally watch it because it's trying to tap into Whatever it is that makes you click on Pornhub or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's trying to get you into that, like it's gonna give you something totally different, but it knows how to get you into the door.
0: This feels like an independent film to me. This mm-hmm. is an independent first time director, yeah, writer. He's a
1: director, we should say, who who thinks about this topic a lot. Uh, Of erotica and eroticism and how it's portrayed in media and culture. Mm -hmm. So like Magic Mike, he he thinks about bodies, sexuality, and how they're portrayed in media a lot. I've written a question thinking about where we are now in our culture with uh, free internet pornography. My question is this. Is it possible to have healthy sexual relationships in the aftermath of internet pornography. Because what it feels like this movie is giving voice to is that intimate sex is going to get really strange, like, moving forward, because of the technology that we have.
0: Right. Because it, it, maybe this means we have to talk about whatever Graham's problem actually is. You know, he's impotent, but this is how he's able to get off, is with these people telling their stories that there becomes this disembodied image thing that's mm-hmm. happening. And it isn't just him audiotaping them, it's right. him videotaping them. Right. And it makes me think about, you know, sure. Like Peggy Ornstein's work on girls and sex, boys and sex of the two most recent books that she put out before that Cinderella ate my daughter. But this idea of image, and sex mm-hmm. that she would interview all these college students about their relationships and that often you know the girls would talk about how they how they take themselves they, they think about how they they actually almost kind of leave their body right how am i looking right now mm-hmm. having sex do mm-hmm. i still look cute they're not really thinking about their experience of sex mm-hmm. the relationship they're building with sex mm-hmm. it's more do i look cute right now how do i look right now Or that idea that boys using things and tropes that they've seen in pornography, Mm -hmm. in their intimacy with other people, because that's the way you're supposed to do it, because that's how they're learning about sex. Yeah. And I think this film is just it is at the starting line of of a lot of that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: He's receiving pleasure from their experience with other people, which Mm -hmm. is what pornography
1: is. One last thing about this and it's kind of a religious thing in the sense that what I like about this movie and what I like about Graham as a character in this movie is that the whole point of his character feels like is saying the unspoken things out loud. So all of the stuff that he could hide or he could lie about, he actually says them out loud. And I feel like there's, something of there's something confessional about this movie. Like you were talking about Soderbergh seeing himself in all four of these characters. I think there's something confessional about like, you know what? I'm not always there intimately with my partners when I'm engaged with them, or I'm not always honest with myself about how I feel. Like there's something very confessional and the ending of this movie feels like absolution.
0: You've got a problem. You're right.
1: I've got a lot of problems.
2: But they belong to me.
0: You think they're yours, but they're not. Everybody that walks in that door becomes part of your problem. Anybody that comes in contact with you. I didn't want to be part of your problem, but I am leaving my husband and maybe I would have anyway but the fact is
2: that I'm doing it now and part
0: of it is because of you I think Uh, we could have left Graham as kind of this change agent instigator Yeah, that actually came in and blew up this family network Mm -hmm. in a way that was positive.
1: The man in black
0: That's right and The jeans could have fit better. I'm just going to say they could have done him more favors. He needed a skinnier cut. I know that was not what 1988-89 was calling for. But the jeans could have been better.
1: Classic going on 30 question. Who is this movie for Betsy? Besides being people who were tricked into thinking it would be a sexy movie.
0: Ah, Aside from people who thought it was porn. How far into the movie do you think they they were before they figured it out? It wasn't. I don't
1: know. There's actually. Wait a second. Now there is a John Cynthia scene early on in the movie on. that you would think, okay, maybe there's more coming. Maybe after the plant scene that you were talking about, yes, and nothing came of that. You would be like, wait a second. Hold
0: on. You're not getting the payoff that you thought you were going to get. <laughs> Who is this movie for? think we're talking about people who are struggling with intimacy and people yeah. who have done people who have done what is expected of them john and Anne's relationship is what was expected of the two of them he's made you mm-hmm. junior partner he's doing everything he's supposed to do we have this really great house so like when she's asked about her relationship with her husband what do you like about all being the married. stuff yeah. they yeah. have yeah okay, what do you like about being married she doesn't talk about him as a person We have a house <laughs> yeah he's made junior partner it's great able to pay for my therapy like you know great and you know I just keep myself busy like the scene of her like vacuuming her house cleaning yeah. the hell out of her house right mm-hmm. and I think it's for people who have found themselves in these empty places in their lives where okay. they've done everything they were supposed to do and they're not happy it's interesting the stuff she talks about with the therapist at the beginning she's worrying about these giant world problems that she has no control over Yeah. meanwhile her, her own home life is appears it's all about that that 1980s appearance stuff but she's unfulfilled Mm -hmm. what who did you say this movie was
1: i really like your answer so i'm gonna just repeat that
0: good great (laughs) perfect
1: (laughs) i think that you're right i think that i think that honestly i said it as a joke about people being tricked into this movie but if you were tricked into this movie and actually watched it and thought about it through the end then that's who the movie's for it's for it's for the person who came in thinking it was one thing and then came out of it thinking oh that actually had a lot to say what is your rating for this movie out of five
0: because i've liked it more now we have talked
1: about it yeah it is it's definitely one that you like more after you talk through it yeah i give it a 3.5 um out of five and the reasoning is that I I like this movie but it's it's so obvious when you watch it that Soderberg has a lot of room to grow as a filmmaker like this is nowhere near as good as he's going to be right. later on. Yeah. Out of Sight is a masterpiece compared to this movie. The cast though works really well together mm-hmm. uh, in all of the different combinations and I think that that's that's what the movie has really going for it, is that the actors are great.
0: Yeah, I'm also in the 3.5 range, which now means I've given three of our movies we've watched 3.5. So we're going to have to really work on this towards the end with my rating system.
1: I I think I have two, so don't feel too bad.
0: Okay, I don't feel too bad. Why, Greg? Because this was not nominated for Best Picture.
1: It was not.
0: It was not. But you felt it should be included. In our 1990 conversation, why is that?
1: Okay, so I wanted to include this because of the legacy. Because of this whole conversation that we had about sex and technology, this movie feels very much like it's on the precipice of figuring out a world 30 years later that's really going to have issues with intimacy sexuality and how technology brings those two things together Mm -hmm. so it's not that it's not that i was blown away by this movie it's not that this is the greatest movie that we've seen this year it's that if i had to put my finger on something that had something to say to 2020 from 1990 this would be the movie that i would pick
0: that's interesting
1: admit it you were apprehensive before starting this you were i still like,
0: thought it might uh-huh, be a porno the
1: the title is the hardest part to get past and then once you're past the title
0: well and the fact that since it wasn't streaming you forced me then to email all my colleagues here at school to ask if anyone had this movie
1: oh that's embarrassing i was like i was like, I was like oh no All right, so what's next movies in the books we only have one more movie no. left no i was worried when we jumped all the way to s So, yeah. We have one more movie remaining. It is the classic When Harry Met Sally. Oh,
0: yes, my pick. Oh,
1: I'm so excited. I'm so glad you picked it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love Betsy, thank you for hanging out on the couch with
0: me. Do you mind if I sit here and be more comfortable? Is that all right with you? It's up to you. It's your tape. (laughs) I'll choose the swivel (laughs) chair.